0: The following podcast is sponsored by the extra debit card that allows you to build credit and earn points as if it was a credit card. And it is also sponsored by long-term sponsor, CDKeyOffers.com. Use code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and DieShrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and uh, I am, of course, joined today as I am on every news episode by my co-host, Dan. How you doing, Dan? How's it going? I'm not too bad. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm tired. I'm going to be honest, looking over the script, I think this will actually be an interesting, hopefully lively discussion episode, but... It it has extra stories, and yet the script is shorter than usual. I think we're really starting to feel that the year is ending. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, we started recording extra late, so I apologize if we sound tired in this episode at all. But I kind of, well, I, I put out a RTX 2060 12GB slash entry-level graphics card analysis video, I guess, um, right before we started recording this. I rushed that out the day we were recording this. I don't mean rushes in like, I think the quality was as good as ever, but I like, I did, I put a lot of work on my plate one day, let's say simply for two reasons. Number one, I just wanted to make sure I understood and like kind of forced myself to re-understand what's coming soon and what's going on with the 2060 and 3050, but also because there needed to be more news in this article. I mean, in this broken <laughs> silk, and I'm not going to lie, guys, there are some times where I I, I push forward a leak because I'm like, there wasn't enough news that week. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, and, and you've seen the script, and I've been talking to you about this, but would you agree this would have been an extra light episode, likely, if I didn't put that information out? <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I mean, in addition to that, I just wanted to make sure I fully covered what I can about the 2060 12 gigabyte before it comes out, simply because it's coming out when this podcast comes out in the free feeds. Now, of course, patron listeners will be able to listen to this before that launch day, but for everyone else, I just thought it would make, I just had to make sure we didn't need to wait for that release, but um, we did not. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. It is It is a, how old is that card at this point? I
1: know it's not technically The same card that's been released twice, but... The 2060, yeah. Yeah, But, yeah,
0: we it's it's an old card technically still. Well, and it's a card that isn't even really for gamers, it turns out. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's get into the opening reader mails here. So, Uum writes in and he says, Hello, Tom and Dan. The last Broken Silicon episode made me think, if you could make any game with an unlimited budget, any licenses resolved and buy any dev you want, what would you make? I just make Sonic Adventures 3D with soap shoes, to be honest. But maybe you guys have better ideas. Uh, three, another Sonic Adventure game, Tom. I think that, I think that's what we all would pick, right? No. No? <laughs> I, I mean, if I had to, honestly, oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, a lot of them would actually have something to do with, Games that never got completed or I felt followed up on correctly, like a truly great new SOCOM, MAG, or Metal Gear Solid 5 being finished, maybe Metal Gear Solid 5 actually being finished. I was going to say I would like to see the second half of Metal Gear Solid 5 <laughs> that we never got to see. Which, you know, that's funny. Some people I've heard say that they don't really recommend Metal Gear Solid 5 because it didn't have a complete fully complete ending but i'm i still think it's like almost a 10 out of 10 i think it's half of the best game that could have ever been made but it's only half of it and it's still longer than most games by like actually a huge margin now that i think about it but you know the the online was half baked you know i i don't know i mean honestly half of the stuff is again just on the subject of metal gear bringing back metal gear online too i could actually still play it that'd be cool yeah, that's true, and uh, I know
1: it's a weird thing to t- talk about because Metal Gear Solid Five was such a long game. Like it, it is still a really long game, and one could argue that if it were twice as long, maybe it would be too long of a game. But the the plot does just kind of, you know, <laughs> end, and it's like, wait,
0: that that's, <laughs> that's uh, how they're ending the game? It, and it's clearly pretty much it, the halfway point of the game. Yeah. Like that was going to be the big plot twist climax of the center of the story. Yeah. uh, Not to spoil it. And then they just were like, yep, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Honestly, though, the list um, goes on for too long for me. I mean, a, a Korean War battlefield would be awesome. Like, why have we not seen that yet? Or an open world game in the warlord period of China. I keep bringing it up between like the the early 1900s and like 1930s, where you had these a combination of like almost like a diesel punk Wild West situation. Yeah, Uh, it's crazy. Like that type of stuff, completely unexplored stories there. But the list of the games I would make is like a dozen if I had an unlimited budget and access to any dev. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, I would need to really. Think about it a little bit because there is so much unexplored territory just in history that instead, which I'm not saying Mm. they're bad
0: because I like a lot of these games instead of just, you know, another modern shooter. I was going to say, isn't at the top of your list another World War Two Call of Duty? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What if we just said that and... They're like, I think another World War II Call of Duty is what we need. Isn't that what everyone's asking for? Yeah, I think, I, I hope the next one is another World War II Call of Duty, Tom. Yeah. All right, well, let us get into corrections and omissions. Only one today. Sarcastro writes in, he says, dude, Dan, Manhattan at rush hour? You talked about this in the last Broken Silicon you were on. I understand genetics gobbles up brain juice and all, but it's okay, good, even to devote at least five of them to driving but exactly what part of your brain could not add the nation's most populous city and rush hour to get the sum of all hell when driving through New Jersey, which is the most puzzling, not being able to pump your own gas or not being able to make a left turn. You know, I wasn't
1: really thinking about it. I got started on the drive a little bit later than I wanted to. And it just timed out perfectly for me hitting New York at rush hour. It wasn't like some intentional thing I set out to do just, (laughs)
0: Not the best planning. Calm down, Zarkastro. We all make mistakes here, okay? I made it through. Well, anyways, though, speaking of mistakes, let us get into a mistake a lot of leaks have been making about the RTX 2060. Story number one, RTX 2060 12 gigabyte. Kind of real for gamers, but meant for miners. A very short write up here. This month, and in fact, supposedly when this podcast drops in the free feeds, NVIDIA will be launching a 2060 model that is really more like a 2060 Super 12 gigabyte if you consider the core counts. But it's not really meant for gamers. That's right. Moore's Lost Dead can confirm that while there will be a retail gamer release, it is more likely to cover for the launch of a Turing GPU for mining. Contracts that NVIDIA is selling to directly. Don't expect every tech tuber to review it and don't expect tons of stock or AIB variants and don't expect it to be reasonably priced because it isn't for you. They don't even want gamers to buy it. It's to distract from their mining launch. And this was something where I talked to some very, very large tech tubers like, are you getting the 2060 on launch day for review? And they're like, no, I, not for months. And in fact, the retailers we've talked to in our region say nothing. Hmm. So this is probably a paper launch. I'm not even sure how many of them will be on e-tailer sites that AIBs are supporting, but it's mostly based on what I'm told by a few people that NVIDIA is making a new 12-gigabyte Turing mining card. And this SKU, they want to also launch a variant of it to gamers so they can say they aren't just using all of this capacity for miners. Oh, they are. That's what NVIDIA is doing.
1: I mean, that seems to be their go-to at this point in time because this mining boom has been you know given them such a reliable source of customers that will buy things in bulk uh all i can say for gamers is i guess there's another option for you to buy now if you really want to get a graphics card but i don't quite know who this is
0: for if it's not going to be affordable And and, you know, I talked about this in the video, which literally dropped as as we're talking right now. If NVIDIA really wanted to, as some sources of mine initially suggested, better compete with, say, an RX 6500 XT, and they didn't think any of their ampere dies were really adequate and they wanted more capacity, a 12 gigabyte variant makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Frankly, what you would do if you really cared is launch a 2070. For using full GA one hundred and six with eight gigabytes for three hundred bucks, which they could certainly afford to do, or maybe just relaunch the twenty sixty six gigabyte for three hundred bucks. Although that's a little overpriced, I argue. But like that, that's that's what they would do. Launching a twelve gigabyte twenty sixty, it doesn't make any sense. It's uh, I'm not remembering. Is
1: Ethereum is it using more? How much RAM is Ethereum
0: using at this point for mining? Oh, God, Um, I think you do need more. You'd certainly need more than four gigabytes. And I think you I think it's going to get to six gigabytes somewhat soon. Okay, because that was one thing I wasn't sure about
1: it is the the 12 gigabytes seems like a lot, which they've really like pairing their low end
0: cards with a lot of RAM right now for some reason. Um, (laughs) But I think it's important to remember people would say they are doing that because the 3060 does. And I would go. They regret doing that with the 3060, though. This is below the 3060. Yeah.
1: I, I, the thing I was thinking is maybe if it were due to the Ethereum mining algorithm being more RAM hungry, because I know it gets hungrier over time, but if it's still using less than 60 gigabytes, I, the 12 gigabyte thing doesn't make sense specifically for miners unless I'm missing something.
0: Yeah. And so, again, and that was a pretty key thing. Like, I, like one of my sources, well, a few of my sources were mentioning it as a mining card, but i always just thought of it in terms of oh they're just launching this so miners will buy it yeah. and then i like looked through some of the information i was like what do you mean by you know by this is like a smoke screen for the mining card. And they're like, oh no, this is lit. oh yeah, this is literally like launching next to a mining variant. Mm-hmm. And this is so they can say they're making the 2060 for gamers. Which, Otherwise they have to report in their earnings, we're producing the 2060 again, j- just for miners. <laughs> which, you know, they <laughs> they
1: uh, kind of did that last year with the, uh, I can't remember what they're called right now, but their they're, they're mi- specific mining line, like, they they seem to have like a smokescreen a lot of the time about how this is better for variant I mean better for gamers because well now we're sectioning off the uh, capacity and giving it to miners with like I don't know hand wavy ignoring the fact that that's also reducing the total pool of cards that are being manufactured that could potentially be bought by people buying that are playing video games. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Ultimately, either way, that's true. It's just capacity could be used for something else. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say about this, though. I I just wanted to get it out there before the launch, and so we talk about it during the launch. We're not gonna put any opinions out. I don't think really about performance. I mean, look, guys, it it's a it's a twenty sixty super with like what is it like a fourth less bandwidth. So what does that mean? Will probably be ten percent weaker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, like depending on the resolution, 20 to 10% weaker. And it's probably going to be reviewed by a few websites, but I'm not getting the feeling. Like the ones I talk to aren't getting them. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see a lot of reviews about this until uh, January. So, yeah, well, I, at the
1: earliest, actually. <laughs> I guess the only thing you can say at, about that in the whole mining situation is I guess more sources of dyes from different manufacturing processes, I in theory, should increase capacity across the board. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think this is going to be the saving grace where now the 3070 is suddenly easily available
0: because they released 10,000 2060s. You almost wonder if they should go 1660 Ti reproduction because it only has six gigs of RAM. And it's a smaller die size than the 2060. But at the same time, it's like, do you really want to just launch a non-ray tracing card in 2021? Really 2022? I honestly think they should have just launched the 2070 for 300 if they cared at all. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, though, moving forward, Melodic Warrior writes and He says, hi, Tom. I wanted to let you know that at work, we were talking about Intel graphics. When the subject of discrete GPUs came up, my older coworker said, didn't Morris Law's Dead say they are coming by quarter two next year? I was just surprised that it turned out you have a small family. So more than five people at my job site. It is clear your content is reaching further than you know. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. I don't. Uh, <laughs> that, and uh, that's always fun to hear stories like that. I always do wonder. Like it's because it's not like anyone's gonna like. I have been recognized before, but like really recognize me because it's pretty niche content we're doing here, Dan. Yes, but but it is fun to see more and more often, I suppose, when you get into the actual enthusiast discussions, it's just like, what did Moore's Law's Dead say about it? It seems to be coming at more and more. So, we must be doing something right. But also, your friend at your job site, Melodic Warrior, may have gotten it slightly wrong. Let us move on then to story number two. So, 16CU RX 6500 XT versus RTX 3050 desktop versus ARC 128 EU. This isn't, You know, again, this is kind of an offshoot of the video we were somewhat referencing that I put out today. I wanted to just kind of openly discuss what I talked about in a recent video and what I think is an interesting discussion, like where we think these graphics cards should be priced at. So just to set the stage for the discussion, we know a 16 compute unit Navi 24 with four gigabytes is launching in quarter one and it's 75 to 120 watts, although I think the top model is 120 watts. When I say 75 to 120, I mean 75 probably for the 6400 XT. Um, and it's likely to be competitive at least, how do I put this, with the 1660, I would say. Um, and then in quarter two, there should be the RTX 3050 cards where it's up in the air if they will use GA107 for the 50Ti with a full die, which I say this, there's so much up in the air about it because, frankly, it's not widely known what the die size of GA-107 <laughs> is, nor uh, what the full die is to this day. Like, I know some people will probably comment that they know, but th- there's a lot of suggestion that full GA-107 is 3,000 CUDA cores, which is interesting because the one, or shit, 3,072 to be specific, and that the, Because the laptop 3050 Ti is 2560. So, yeah, that card performs in the same power consumption levels like a 1660 Ti. It's conceivable. You push it harder, add 20% more compute. They might have a 140-watt card that's actually pretty close to a 2060. I I don't know if they would use that or a more cut-down GA106. There's a lot of rumors right now suggesting a cut-down GA106, which I find bizarre. Because I don't understand why when the 3060 is already cut down. And in yeah. fact, why you would do that when you can't just launch a 3066 gigabyte. Even if you disabled an extra an SM or two, just call it a 3066 gigabyte and launch it for 300. So that's coming, though, in quarter two. <laughs> I think that's what you get a rough idea of what the performance will be, though. And then, of course, low end arc with 128 execution units, six gigabytes of RAM below 75 watts at the end of quarter one, kind of early quarter two, depending on how you look at it. I, I certainly think Intel will bend uh, their presentation and like how it's actually, when it's actually coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, but, but I don't know, Dan, what do you think about the pricing of these cards, right? You've just to summarize again after yammering for so long, you basically have a 120 watt AMD card that's a 1660 at four gigabytes. You have a probably 130, 140 watt NVIDIA card that's just below a 2060 with eight gigabytes. And then you have a six gigabyte Intel card that's probably just below a 1660.
1: You know, I hope some of these can be close to $200, but, but I'm not sure where exactly that's going to fall. I think the 30, or yeah, I mean, I guess it would be called the 3050. I think the 3050 will probably be like, I don't know. 250 would be my guess for that at this
0: point, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So, yeah. <laughs> Let's back up. The way my, my corn yeah, my cornerstone of where I will be coming from mm-hmm. is comparing them to the 6600 XT's die, the Navi 23. Yeah. So Navi 23 is, I think it's like 230 millimeters squared, 128 bit, eight gigabytes. Okay, well, 16 CU, 16 megabytes of infinity cache, 64-bit. It's literally half. And even though that doesn't always directly translate to half the die size, I've been told they might even be removing some encoding things to make it smaller. So I really think you're looking at a 120-millimeter squared card around, 100 to 150 for Navi24. And then if they also give it half the RAM, I just don't see why this wouldn't cost possibly half as much of a 6600 XT, which was, I think, 380, if I remember right. Yeah. So, I think 190. I think 190 is what we should expect. Now, could they go for 250? Maybe, but I think that'd look absurd.
1: Yeah, I I think it would be great if the 6600 XT could be... Not 6600 XT, sorry, Navi24, whatever they call it, could... Come down below 200, somewhere between like the 170 and 190 range. Like if they're really, really trying to undercut in in video when that comes out, I really just don't know what they need to price it at, like to to drive demand. Like I think they can price anything at whatever they want at this point, and it will sell relatively well. Like if they. Th- charge $300 for it. I don't think people would be going in mass to buy a $300 400. I mean, four gigabyte graphics card in 2021, but they could probably easily do like 220 2450,
0: 450 and still uh, clear uh, shelves with that. Well, if it launched right now, certainly my question is if that will be different quarter one, you know, and, and especially with Intel, a wild card entering the market. Yes. But, you know, yeah, that's true because well, once again, it's hard to guess exactly how
1: strong Arc is going to be, but it's somewhere within the realm near Navi 24 and they do something crazy like 150 or something for it.
0: Well, so that's the thing as well is it's 6 nanometer, it's only 96 bit and it's 128 execution units. I mean, there's no reason Intel's card isn't probably a very similar die size to Navi 24. Yeah. And we under I, my understanding is Intel's willing to make reasonable margins, and again, reasonable not even by ten years ago standard, but I mean probably like willing to make like thirty to fifty percent margins instead of sixty to over a hundred, which is what AMD and NVIDIA are used to now. So I, I think there's no reason then this can't be like one fifty. And, and and again, this is where you see this kind of tug of war between all three of these cards that for me is interesting to think about. It's like, all right, so let's say Navi 24 is a 1660. This is a 1650 super even. We think they could have both be a little higher than that, but let's just, yeah, I mean, you're looking at something maybe 10, 15, like 15, 20% away from each other. And one of them has more RAM and uses almost half the energy arc. Yeah. So if it's 150, when AMD charges 20% more for a less RAM product that has a six pin and the other doesn't, which is important in this budget segment, to not need a six pin is a nice bonus for a lot of... All the time on Newegg and reviews of cards that don't have six pins, they say strongest card without a six pin. Like yeah, all the time. True. You th- you wonder if AMD just has to price match Intel or oh, almost. I, I think they might need to. If Intel is truly that much more efficient for
1: a little bit less performance. Although I still wonder how much, especially once we're getting into this territory of power usage, I wonder if people really care that much. Yeah, I, once again, like you said, if they could just advertise it as, I mean, just a six pin or even no six pin at all, like that that might be a selling point. But if it's cheaper, but maybe not as cheap as it could, should be just based on price alone. But like, I, I, I don't think it's going to be, an incredibly convincing selling point to most people versus Navi24 if it uses like 50% more energy. But here we're talking about 120 watts and it's a little Mm -hmm. bit more and it's like 20% more powerful and like, I don't know, 15 or 20% more cost. I think a lot of people would
0: just go with that. Go with AMD. Yeah. Well, and another thing I pointed out that's actually really funny to realize is, and, and I've seen a lot of people talk about how Navi24 couldn't possibly be about this performance of a 1660 or almost 2060 or whatever. But it's like, no, if you compare it to the 6600, which has 28 compute units, this is 16. Okay, so one of them has 57% more compute units. Right. But that one runs at about two gigahertz. It's clocked really low. But if you look at a 75 watt card, which is what Navi24 was designed as being pushed to 120, there's no doubt in my mind, this is probably clocked at a normal gaming clock of around 2.5 gigahertz. So multiply 1.2, so 20% higher clocks by, you know, being 57% as many compute units, that's about 70% the performance. That is a 1660. Yeah. You know, and the <laughs> and that level of performance, you know, it's funny. What it's actually about a 1070. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that is, if you look at hardware in box recent benchmarks, enough for almost 60 hertz gaming in 1440p. The problem is the 6500 XC will not be gaming in 1440p with 16 megabytes of Infinity Cache in and my, my guess four gigs and of RAM. only four gigs of RAM. Yeah, that's but not enough. The art card. What if it actually tied it though in 1440p and everyone goes, that's stupid. It's like more people than you think just have 1440p 60 monitors. A
1: lot of people have that. I mean, I I think there's still a place for, you know, just a capable 1080p uh, card because some people just don't need more than that. And if they can drop the price of one of these cards, or if they can drop the price of Navi 24 significantly by just having four gigs of RAM, I... I could see a person that would get that, even though it has less RAM. Although I have a feeling a lot of the people that are still gaming on a 1080p monitor also don't really know how to look at specs, so they might just get a six gigabyte card
0: because it's a bigger number. <laughs> so there's like a gigantic slap in the face to 1080p gamers from Dan here. <laughs> I'm. Uh, it's it's an observation. I'm just
1: saying if you're not getting the newest tech there's a higher chance you're not
0: as into the tech. I I think that's a fair assertion. Mm. But that means a lot of those people go, what, six gigabytes? Yeah. Uh, the, the way I think about it is just, I, I can't help, again, let's just recap again. Yeah. It's basically half a 6600 XT. I think they can make it 190 with four gigabytes. And I think going above that's kind of insane, you know, unless they give it eight. The other number that rings to me is 250 simply because there's this bizarre, look it up everyone. There is this bizarre insistence on the tier difference in pricing between each card at AMD being about 25 to 30%. So with that in mind, 250 to 330 for the uh, 6600 comes to mind, but... And this is where we get into the competition from NVIDIA. I don't think they can get away with that. If NVIDIA might launch a $300, eight gigabyte card that kills it by 20%. Yeah. And then remember, NVIDIA could always launch a four gigabyte variant. That's the same price and will surely be stronger. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. I The one thing I'll say also with the
1: pricing at 190, pricing it at 190 is I really, really hope it's at something like that because that would be a, if it's not, that would be a regression in performance per uh, dollar versus the, 66, the 50-
0: 1660 when it came out, wouldn't it be? It'd be pretty close to that. And it would certainly be a regression to the 5500 XT that was about 230 with eight gigabytes. So I think that there is something to say with optics as well. As much as we give these companies crap, we have to acknowledge that the 3080, even if it's the top die, was called the 80 class and had more RAM than the 2080, which had the same amount of RAM as the 1080. They typically don't go backwards. And so if AMD is really gonna just give this four gigabytes RAM, which is what it sounds like. If they don't want a bunch of people pointing this out online (laughs) and complaining about it, they probably have to go for 200 or lower. Yeah. Now, it still wouldn't surprise me, though, if some AIVs were just allowed to make 8 gigabyte versions that are 250. And maybe overclocked to, like, almost 3 gigahertz or something crazy, too. I still don't. I will be very skeptical of anything that comes (laughs) with more than 2.8 gigahertz in stock, but that's just me. Um, You know, at the end of the day, though, you know, unfortunately, even if it is 8 gigabytes for 250, Synarx 590, like... Yeah what, four years later, RX 590 again? Like, that's basically what it is. Yes, half the energy, but whatever. I mean, that's a level of performance people clearly like at this point. I still just think it's far more interesting if AMD is like, no, it only has four gigabytes, but guess what? It destroys seven anything below 1080p at like 100 hertz and like higher ultra, <laughs> and it's 150. There's a real market for that, I think. Yeah, there there is. Anyways, though, uh, that's basically what we think. I guess my summarizing thoughts are just, I feel like AMD's gut is to put it around 200, maybe 190 with four gigabytes, and then market it as a 1080p eSports card or lower. And then Intel is likely to go below that with six gigabytes to undercut them. But honestly, from what it sounds like, Arc's just going to be in a ton of... Uh, OEM PCs. That's mm-hmm. really what it's meant for in laptops. And that frankly, the OEMs I talked to aren't getting 3050s that Intel may have already pushed them out of OEMs oh. <laughs> in the low end. So I think that's about enough to talk about that though. I just thought it was an interesting discussion to be had as this is possibly the last news episode of the year before we get into a couple of guests and there will be broken silicons every week, but you know, this is probably the last fully featured news episode I would say of the year. Um, if you think, look at the release schedule, um, Wasted Herald writes in, do you have any insight into why people in the mid to low range feel they need to upgrade every year? I get the top five percent. I have the top, I make the top 5%. Money doesn't really matter to me, but why do people have such a voracious need to get the new card or CPU? I rocked an 8350 and EVGA 970 for the win until I picked up a 1080 for the win after the 2000 series launch. And I picked up an X470 and 2600 bundle after Ryzen 3 launched. Even with my old setup, I got 60 plus at 1080, 60 plus frame rates at 1080 in most games that didn't run my four gigabytes of GPU. <laughs> he puts four gigabytes in parentheses <laughs> and like multiple parentheses. It's really 3.5 out of RAM. Play Battlefield 4, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Forza uh, Horizon 2, all smooth and with just a few settings off or lowered. With my new setup, I get 80 plus at 1080 in most games. I only struggle if I max out the settings in games like Control if I try to ray trace Tomb Raider. Why do you need more FPS than your monitors refresh refresh? I just don't get it. Maybe you can help me understand. Thanks and enjoy. I think the truth is in the low end, you don't have people upgrading that often. I think that the people in the low end are actually typically the people that have the weakest card and also probably only upgrade every few or Years. And it's in the high end where they're always recycling the top card every year.
1: I, I don't think people need uh, that buy at the low end, need anything every a couple of years. Like, I just think at this point, people at the low end haven't gotten an upgrade path for a couple of years at least.
0: Yeah, and I guess the last thing I'll say is that's just my impression, wasted Harold. Um, and I think reading his question, he says he he gets why the top five percent don't care about the price, but that's not him. But I- anyways, though, my impression is that they don't upgrade all the time. I think there's a lot of people in the mid range that upgrade often, but just in general, talking about why do people upgrade all the time? I mean, I one of the reasons I started my channels, I didn't understand it either, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, and and I I continue to believe people criminally undervalue or overstate how hard it is to run really any resolution. Like, (laughs) like honestly, it goes for anything I could say about 4k and how if you lower a few settings, my 3070 is fine. it. I could make the same arguments about 1440p where my 2060 laptop plays every game I throw at it in 1440p
1: 60. So yeah. And I think like the way we talk about it, sometimes even we get into that just because I, the language in the, uh, the language has changed. I feel over time to where when people say a 1080p 60 card, a 1080p card, what they're essentially saying at this point is it's a 1080p 60 card in everything maxed out or and everything on high because there's literally no point in maxing out your settings at 1080p in pretty much any modern game. But
0: <laughs> no, but like, no, absolutely none. I think th- I, I feel like
1: the language has changed over time to. When people say it's a this resolution card, they mean you can put on a preset and expect to get 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second in pretty much any modern game. Whereas Mm -hmm. you could make the argument that 1080p60 card is a card that you can get to run games at 1080p60 without, I I would say without too much trouble is Mm -hmm. would also be a fair way to put it.
0: Right. Gosh, you lazy Reesey, do you really still just have a normal debit card? You should get extra. Extra is a debit card that builds up your credit, and it is for everyone, even Reese here. Even if your credit isn't in a great place, Extra connects to your existing bank account and doesn't allow you to charge more than you actually have. So there's no credit card check required to get started, but like a credit card, it lets you get 1% back for everyday purchases and builds up your credit score. In other words, Extra bridges the gap between credit and debit cards for those that need to rebuild their credit or perhaps just want to get started building a score and earning points after all you're just leaving money on the table if you don't have a card saving you one percent on purchases use the link in the description to help moore's laws dead and also to get access to your extra card get extra with extra today all right let us move on then to what is even if we don't have as much to say as some other things here probably the biggest story of the past two weeks by far story number three FTC sues to block a $40 billion semiconductor chip merger. NVIDIA blocked from buying ARM. And I put out a video that night about it as I always had a script that was half finished, but I never quite felt ready to talk about it. And then, in you know, it's just, it happened, you know, uh, it, uh, this whole time NVIDIA, uh, for those who don't remember, late 2020 announced they wanted to buy ARM. Most people said, whoa, how is that going to happen? That's crazy. But I think everyone... Was either a mix of speaking for myself, jaded that these companies can get away with doing whatever they want, or even even if it's an obvious monopoly play. Or two, that NVIDIA always gets what they want, which I saw so many people, including Daniel Nenny, friend of the show, a great analyst who made semiwiki founded semiwiki.com saying just never count out Jensen. And I agree with him on that. Like we all felt like it was an inevitability. And then the EU said they were gonna try, they're investigating it. And then you saw a lot of hubbub from ARM's customers. And the more I talk to people, whether it's people with military contacts, people with contacts at Apple or Samsung or anyone, everyone basically said, we don't want this to happen. And the funny thing is, people would ask, I would ask, I should say, well, you know, NVIDIA can't buy ARM, SoftBank buy an ARM, like could AMD not, or could this company not? And they said, probably not, but the biggest reason we're fighting this and pointing out it's a monopoly play is we literally just don't trust literally NVIDIA with owning ARM. <laughs> and, and I think that eventually came back to bite them. I think there's no doubt good old Tim Apple, as we call him, <laughs> over at Apple, probably was calling, having people call up as many friends in government as he could, and so are these other companies, and they they just weren't going to let this happen. They were going to call up as many favors as they could. And, you know, and and it's a pretty much a slam dunk to say the only reason I think NVIDIA would buy Arm is to eventually make monopolistic moves because they already work with Arm. So there's literally no Apple didn't buy Arm. They can afford to. So why are they doing this? You know, um, I, I don't know. That I That's just all my initial opinions. Oh, the final thing I'd say is I did reach out to Daniel Nenny again, who was probably more. I don't know if he was more, I guess he was more pessimistic than me actually about the Apple thing, but he did say he never count out Jensen. When I sent him this news, he goes, yeah, it's done. So go on. Up until the, well,
1: it would have been weird for the U.S. government to have said anything really before this point, but you know, this is the U.S. government now also getting behind not allowing this to happen. So when you have some of the most powerful companies in the world and some of the most powerful governments in the world all opposed to this it's probably not going to happen i mean i know jensen wang is it, nvidia is his company more so than like any other uh of these ceos uh is their respective companies like he's one of the founders and he built he was one of the major people that built the com- nvidia to be as huge as it is today and there's a reason that he probably succeeds all the time uh <laughs> But I I think there's just too much negative pressure to make this actually happen. And as I've been, as we've talked about pretty openly and really universally, everyone has said Mm -hmm. the thing that we were hoping happened, happened. So,
0: right. Which I guess I'm trying to think of other points to add to this, because it feels like something we've under discussed maybe since it came out, but maybe because I don't have much to say. I'm not a lawyer. You know, I'm not an expert on mergers. I can only give my opinion that it would probably be a good move for and possibly be a good move for NVIDIA and probably be a bad move for everyone else that isn't (laughs) NVIDIA, (laughs) including even as I showed some testimonials, people that work at ARM didn't want this to happen, or at least the lower level people or I should say lower level, but you know what I mean? not yeah. the the below the execs didn't want to it to happen because every they just really expected Nvidia to either fire them, move all the stuff over into their own headquarters in America, out of the u k they already have headquarters like you know, design places in the u s but um or that they would just really tighten the screws on their work there that they heard that working at Nvidia is just a complete grind house or they expect everything from you <laughs> so. I don't know. Everyone wanted this to not happen. And I just, it's funny how just so quickly we're like, Oh, and it's done. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to comment too much more on it though, because like, yeah, it's,
1: it's just done. Um, You know, (laughs) if there would have been, there would have been new weird products that would have come out of this, but you know, now there's just
0: not too much more to say about it because it's done. (laughs) Exactly. And The only final thing I will say is everyone talks about how like it was just from, you know, is there anything that might have been good that came out of it? And it's like, well, I was told by multiple people Jensen eventually wanted to make desktop CPUs and that he wanted to use this and use their design teams to try to make that happen over the next five years, maybe six years and really just try to get in there at some point, at least get into a mid-level gaming position or something. It's probably not happening anymore, but ultimately, I don't think that was ever really a core strategy for them. I think that's more of like a, I won't say pipe dream, but like ambitious goal for him to do just so he can say he has his own intel finally. <laughs> um uh, I would just say NVIDIA is fine. Nvidia's not doomed. This doesn't actually probably change any of their internal roadmaps that much, if I had to guess. Could be wrong, though. I'd be surprised if I was told, oh, there was something six years from now that we're kind of scrapping. But in general, I think everything they were working on goes on as planned. And they're still, you know, maybe they'll become less overvalued or what is even overvalued anymore. And I don't want to get into that. <laughs> What's valued or not, actually, because it's. There's a lot going on in the yeah. world why it might not be undervalued actually relative to other assets, but not that this is financial advice. But um yeah, they're, they're, they're going to do fine. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they, <laughs> I think I saw they took a hit, but. Um, well, I mean, but, if the CEO of a company farts unexpectedly, the stock takes a hit. So I'm sure it, it took a hit. <laughs> yeah. Chagaholic writes in. We've all been waiting for one bubble or another to pop, whether it be Ethereum or something in the supply chain, so we gamers can finally get graphics cards more easily. But here's one bubble that I think most of us have overlooked, Jensen's massively inflated ego. With the latest news about NVIDIA and ARM's deal going bust, we finally see the real bubble pop. You know, maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. here's (laughs) Here's the thing. People I talk to that know and have met Jensen say that in behind the scenes, he's not nearly as big of an ego, but he is when he's on stage and that he's actually nice to students when he talks to them and stuff. So it doesn't sound like he's just some big jerk. Having said that, I've also heard stories. I I actually probably shouldn't say some really specific ones could give away who I've talked to. (laughs) I've also heard stories, though, where he really doesn't like it when you make fun of anything he does. So I think he's always had an ego. I don't think it's ever been entirely malicious, but there's no doubt that well, ne- we've, me and Daniel say never count out Jensen. Well, it didn't work out. And he kind of flew too close to the sun here. So I have to wonder if this will make him wonder if this was just an absurd thing to go for or not. Because it yeah, seemed true. like everyone thought it was. And he was like, we'll make it happen. And then it's not. Yeah. And I, I just have to say,
1: that doesn't surprise me that Jensen isn't like just a dick all the time. People put on it. Mm-hmm. People do put on different masks when they, uh, work
0: and are you know in their own personal lives yeah i mean uh, and it's a again it's a joke question but honestly maybe though (laughs) maybe this makes him rethink how he treats other companies all the time because everyone i talked to said they just don't trust them and they're a pain to work with and if they get control of arm they you know yeah maybe they still and again, do I expect them to start acting much nicer? Not really. Amy will Chief writes in: "Will sticking a forty ninety into a water cooled rig make it a steam machine?" Yes. Yes. Well, all right. Or it will make it a electrocution machine. One of the two, though. I mean, electric, You know, people tended to steam. If I misunderstood when they got the <laughs> when they got <laughs> killed by the chair, no, there was still steam. Isn't that why they put a a, a wet sponge on their head. Well, it wasn't to make steam, but it was like to attract it. And steam would come off of their head when they were murdered by the state. So I think that's still a steam machine, Dan. Eh, You're probably right. I'm definitely right, Dan. Okay. Okay. I'm Jensen fucking, <laughs> fucking alright let us move on to story number four Andy Rembrandt is supposedly double Cezanne and just below a GTX 1650 max Q now I don't want to dwell on this one too much but this is again this episode's starting to feel very much like what our episodes did in 2019 where there was room to touch on more rumory and less concrete and smaller story stuff um, a leaker what's this uh, 9550 Pro who's a pretty good track record, leaked a score for Rembrandt's GPU, supposedly, that uh, if you dig into it, looks like it's basically almost doubling Saison performance and just a hair below a a 1650 Max-Q. I I just want to discuss this because I've seen a lot, most takes be like, that's crazy, an APU that's as strong as that. And I think people need to go look up the performance of a 1650 Max-Q, because that's the 35-watt variant that is like 10% better than a desktop 1050 Ti, a 75-watt card from 2016.
1: Yeah, it will work to play video games, but once it's... (laughs) that's not going, that's not a 1080p card (laughs) to reference our previous discussion. Like you'll be able to play games on it, but I don't think
0: you're going to be, I don't think it's necessarily easy to do that. Not, not in 2022's games when this is coming out. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, it's basically, yeah. I mean, it would probably be, I'm trying to think of the performance Delta. It's probably like 60% the performance off the top of my head. Then, of what a uh, 6500 XT will be, which, if you think about it, 12 to 16 compute units sounds about right. <laughs> you know, so I, 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 you know, if the 16. Uh, I'm sorry, if the 6500 XT in my eyes was kind of like an 80 hertz, 1080p high gaming thing, like one where the minimums are always above 60 and you put it on medium, you can probably game it 1080p 120. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably a 1080p medium around 60 APU. But again, guys, that the may be low too, <laughs> maybe low and it's like uh, that's not even a. I don't even know if that's a PS4 Pro in performance guys and that is a 16 nanometer based like low power I mean it's console this is like we're talking about something that's probably half the performance of a Series X I don't yeah. know that that's impressive it's <laughs> I
1: I think it's a I think it's a uh, interesting that you know an APU is start <laughs> It's just so hard to say it, though, because this is what APUs uh, are pretty much always like, or it's like, yeah, it's the performance of what low-end cards were several years ago. That's kind of where APUs stick to. And it, I will say if they keep the trend of uh, of adding more RDNA 2 cores, so like it's up to six, or not RDNA 2, RDNA cores, and the whatever comes after Rembrandt has like 16 or 20 compute units that might be a, a thing where like, oh, yeah, these APUs really are providing you with entry-level GPUs at this point. But where but it But this sits, still isn't that, really. Yeah, where it sits, it's still very much an APU. And if you're willing to sacrifice a lot of performance, an
0: APU works fine. E- exactly. A- and again, just to put it another way, they're like almost double Cezanne. I'm like, well, I expected it to be at least 80% better than Cezanne. Cezanne has eight- Vega compute units. This is going to 12 RDNA 2. But remember, this is not Radeon 7's Vega. This has like higher clock speeds and like I think literally like 20-30% more IPC than the Radeon 7. So it's like, okay, so really then RDNA 1 and RDNA 2 don't really have any difference in IPC. It's all clock speeds. So if they have similar clock speeds to that version of Vega, which it probably will in an APU, maybe a little higher, I would imagine, eh, 30% higher IPC, 50% more uh, our <laughs> compute units and they can fit the, them in there because it's now six nanometers which is 15% smaller uh, than seven nanometer. then uh, this is literally just a, a successor to Cezanne. this is yeah. I, I, I don't see this as moving the bar forward on APU performance at all relative to where everything else is going I think this is literally yeah, the same situation as Renoir you know, is it able to play the latest games? It is. You have to turn on a lot of settings and this is not a mega APU. No, I,
1: I would say integrated performance has is in, is gotten better over time versus where it was at in the past. But that, the, I think that's the strongest you can put it. I don't think this is the start of the new trend where we, I don't know, start replacing graphics cards with APUs.
0: Yeah. And again, uh, I was talking to some people in the Discord about this. Uh, the Morse Law said Discord, which you get access to if you support us on Patreon. And we were talking about how, like, did you hear that thunder, Dan? No, I didn't. Oh, so I, I have a very good, you don't hear this at all through my mic. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's storming pretty hard out there. Le- leave it in, Gerard. Just so everyone knows, uh, Reese came up the staircase and is now laying down in the studio next to me because no. she's scared of the thunder. But um, I, 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 it sounds like it's not ruining the audio too bad. But so I can't do anything about it, guys. I'm not God. Not yet, at least. I, I can't control if it storms outside. But um, now, just going back to what I was saying is, like, it is continually, to me, still a little puzzling they haven't tried a stronger APU and how obvious it is that they're not even doing the minimum to make it even a decent one. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason they couldn't put 16 compute units with 16 megabytes of infinity cache in there.
1: I mean, if they had that. There's that.
0: room for the die.
1: Yeah, and if they did that, then, oh, well, they've literally brought their, not literally, but they've essentially brought G, uh, Navi
0: 24 to an APU. <laughs> so that would be really impressive. Yeah, and uh, I think that this will probably have a die size slightly bigger than Cezanne. There's That leaves another 40 millimeter squared there. That's easily enough to fit. the the Infinity Cache and Compute Units required. Frankly, it'd probably be enough room if they wanted to go for it to make a 24 compute unit, 24 megabytes of Infinity Mm -hmm. Cache. And I think that one would just be a Series X and they could fit it on AM5 because it's six nanometer. They could fit in that socket size. Uh, They can do it, guys. They're just not. And that's the minimum. They could probably make something way better than that. Yeah, that's true. Let us move on then. Speaking of chipsets, not AMD. AMD. Let us now move over to Intel ones with story number five. Let's talk about the LGA 1700 PCIe 5 support on lower chipsets. So I have a small write-up here. At the tail end of Morse Lossed's 500-watt Lovelace opinion piece, Tom leaked some details on H670 through H610. And basically, the point is this. Going below Z690, if you want to get an Alder Lake CPU or eventually Raptor Lake, you'll get less NVMe drives in H670 compared to the 690, as expected. But also, they should all be able to support PCIe 5.0, even age 610, but they likely won't because of component costs. Not chipset costs. Those apparently cost $5 less to make. By the way, guys, H670 chipsets instead of H690 H6, uh, Z at most. It's the actual motherboard component costs that they might skimp on to put PCIe 4.0 on these boards instead of 5. There's no reason I'd expect plenty of H670 boards to have 5.0, but half of them not to because we're already seeing z690 boards that only have 4.0 support from multiple (laughs) vendors and it seems like that price points around 160 so my guess is what we're gonna see is h670 boards that pretty much compete with the cheaper x570 boards with Mm -hmm. maybe 5.0 or not probably not though otherwise directly competing with a uh x570 with 5.0 in X570 prices which makes sense cuz this is probably closer to 8X570s a- IO you know Z690 is better mm-hmm. so i i don't think it's anything crazy but it's i don't know i i think this is important just so people know what's coming out soon but also it's just funny like uh when i i really drilled into like what it costs for each part of a motherboard and it really all is the quality of the components guys at a certain point like the chipset itself is nothing <laughs>
1: well the- That's kind of the purpose of all of these different chipsets, isn't it? So they can, you know, have different tiers of feature sets too, where sure it has a different chipset on it uh, for each motherboard, but that's not like all of the cost for, (laughs) that's not where all of the reduced costs come from. Uh, Every motherboard of the lower chipsets always have fewer features and I don't think it's a surprise that the lowest tier chipsets for all their Lake or LGA 1700 will be just have PCIe 4.0. I don't think you should expect to get a $40 motherboard or $60 motherboard that has everything that the 220 or a lot of what the uh, like 220, $240 motherboards have. Like those cheaper motherboards are for budgets. And there's a reason that they
0: cost half as much yeah. Um, it's just, it's again, it's just funny to, it's just the component. So it's yeah. not like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it is interesting to see this happen more and more, though, because I don't remember like back when we were building PCs, like Ivy Bridge motherboards lacking 3.0 support. That's true. To save money for 2.0, it, it does show you that it is actually, though, also becoming more expensive to add this new tech. I mean, they keep doubling bandwidth with backwards compatibility with DCIE. What is 5.0 bandwidth? I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember what it is exactly. I thought it was like, I want to say 64 gigabytes a second, but I do not remember.
1: Okay. I mean, at a certain point... I think very few people will notice anything, if anyone honestly will notice any difference at this point between 4.0 and 5.0. Oh, it's 128. Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad I corrected myself. Yeah. I don't think people are going to notice a difference. Like those are, both of those are really already more than what you need. You'll be fine with PCIe 4.0. And once again, if you're trying to save money, I, I get why they did it, and I think part of it, I think part of it is that it's more noticeable with Alder Lake. Might just be that it's a kind of transitional, um, it's a transitional line of products where they kind of have hybrid support of PCIe 4.0, DDR uh, four and five, and I think you, it's just easier to see the differences in the feature sets that some of the
0: motherboards have to offer. Yeah, I just can't help but wonder, though, if, like, I still think it's a little confusing, though. I can't help but wonder, like, if Intel should have just said, hey, uh, H670 has to have 5.0, but we're going to have a 6, I think there's B660 already, so that's the thing, too. There's going to be an H650, which is basically this without that. So I don't, I I don't know, though. I do wonder if they should have done that. Because I don't think there's any B550 motherboards that lacked 3.0. There was people wondering if it would. I don't think you're wrong that
1: mandating that every chipset has at least these same basic uh, features is a bad idea. Like maybe they should have I I wouldn't go that far, but like they could have mandated that Z690 all has uh, PCIe 5.0 and DDR5 Mm. support
0: uh, just so there's, you know. Well, not DDR5 necessarily, but 5.0. Yeah, yeah. And and then just save the other for H670. Like, tell them, like, what's the point, dude?
1: Yeah, just so it's obvious what you're buying with every single Z690 motherboard and every H670 motherboard as well. Like, that would make purchasing easier.
0: (laughs) Well, you do have to wonder, though, if some of that's just for OEMs, because there aren't even 5.0 graphics cards on the markets right now. So it's like you almost wonder if like Dell's like, hey, can we please just make our 690 motherboard not have 5.0 support? Because literally there's no point in these pre-built systems. Uh, I'm
1: sure that's part of it for OEMs. They very rarely
0: overdesign their their components. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, moving on with Intel discussion points, let us move on then to story number six. So this is just titled, Are E-Cores from Alder Lake? The Little Cores, everybody. Bad for gaming. And Hardware Unboxed put out two videos recently looking into E-Core testing. And I thought this was actually a very, very interesting discussion. Um, I, I guess I'll frame it this way. I, I have a little write-up here. From the inception of learning and then leaking that Alder Lake had both big P cores and little E cores, gamers and tech tubers have been debating if this is bad for gaming. Well, Steve at Hardware Unbox has put quite a lot of effort into testing how effective E cores are on their own. And I know you did a lot of research on this too, Dan. I just want to frame the discussion from some of his early testing from the first video. So in Rainbow Six Siege, four E cores were about equal to four Rocket Lake cores is what I saw in that game. And in Battlefield Five four E-cores were 80% weaker than four Golden Cove cores. And I believe this was something that was pointed to as how bad it is. And I just go, yeah, but that takes up the space of one Golden Cove core.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's almost, uh, not quite, it's a little worse, but it's
0: almost linear with the amount of space it takes up at least. Yeah, worst case scenario. And it's not even really. But, anyways, and then in Hitman 2, 2E plus 2P cores equals double the performance of just 4E cores. And that was pointed to. And Horizon Zero Dawn, 4E cores equaled four times FX8350 cores at gaming. Throwback to the pile driver. But again, keep in mind, these are clock 10% lower than pile driver using an insane amount less uh, die space and probably using about a tenth the energy of those four cores, if I had to guess. I don't know. Maybe a fifth the energy. I don't know. I just couldn't. Help, but feel like in his first video, it kept looking at framing it the worst way. Like oh, it's comparable to to pile driver, and it's like, yeah, if you don't consider it's using a fifth the energy, and it's every configuration the big cores are supposed to be turned on. But he he addressed this with his follow up video. Um, where he does make an, though, he does make an interesting argument though, that for a strictly gaming processor right now, you would probably rather have 10 big cores than eight big and eight little if it's just for gaming, Mm -hmm. which I don't disagree with him on that. In fact, I'd say that's probably a fact, but a lot of people do more than gaming. And, uh, I don't know. I I know you did some research too. What is your take on his testing? And did you find any other tests really? No, not really. No, I I don't. He's done the most thorough testing then so far. Yeah, unless there's some person I haven't heard of who
1: has done something else uh, as well. I I would say his first video, which he addressed that in the second video, the issue would be saying the, the I think it's a wrong conclusion to come to with the first videos testing that E cores are bad for gamers because that's not really what it's testing. It's testing how well do E cores perform in gaming? You know what I mean? By themselves. Yeah. Which that's an interesting question to ask. It's just important to know the question you're asking, I think, which he did. And I think there was just some misinterpretation of what it meant. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second one video did show that by and large, E cores do little to nothing for people that are playing games on their PC in the configuration like that E cores are meant to be used in. And I think that's Mm -hmm. that I think that's the right conclusion to come to from that video, because, you know,
0: that's what they tested. (laughs) Which I will say a second video, I think just and he's he would agree. He said it. That's why I made it. (laughs) It does a better job of firmly framing the point, which is that it's not that they're necessarily always bad. It's just that there's not really any scenario he can find where it helps, even when it comes to streaming, that it would just be better if you had another big core with hyperthreading to handle the streaming. Well, yeah. you know, that, And that, that some of Intel's marketing is kind of bullshit then about that. Well, yeah, that was a, a
1: good point he brought up where people... You, you can take these slides and discuss what these companies say in their like press releases, but you have to realize that they're framing their, they're they're framing their products in the best light and selling mm-hmm. them to you. They're not necessarily telling you the thing in the most accurate way, uh, or people are misinterpreting what they're saying and assuming streaming is a background task, which like he said, it's a background. It really isn't. It's a background task to you. <laughs> it's not a background task to the PC. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a background task in that you literally aren't doing anything while you're streaming to, I mean, you aren't putting forth mental energy to stream. Your computer is putting forth the energy to run that foreground task that he said is being ran in parallel. And with that in mind, a P core could just also
0: run the streaming just fine versus the E core. Right, which I I did like a point he made about like, you know, people say that's not what the E cores are for. It's for running background tasks. And he's like, I don't think that's fair to say they're for running background tasks just because that's the only thing they can do well. I mean, what I would say is I hope um, stuff
1: like this eventually goes into, which who knows, maybe this is a the wrong way to look at it. And it would just be better if they kept adding more
0: cores. But. I, but I, mean, I don't know like if they P can, cars. though, too, That's true. which he points out they might not literally be able to based but on how their architectures work. Like if the scheduling uh, uh,
1: having a bunch of these tiny cores uh, on their system can do something like what the dedicated hardware and like the PS5 has, like it, it, once uh, the instruction the scheduling gets better over time, maybe this could somehow like speed up loading speeds or something, which that would be interesting if they could mm-hmm. utilize them more effectively. But they'd but, have to program it specifically to do that. And no devs are yet. Yeah. So I, I actually think it will be interesting to see if new games utilize them over time better than, so maybe Alder Lake gets slightly better over time with newer games than with games that weren't designed with Alder Lake in mind. Um Because, yeah really just no games use the E cores at this point, or they don't use them super effectively versus the P cores where it's just in what shadow of the tomb Raider, like it literally didn't use them at all. And in other games it used them, but it would just be better to have two more P cores than what Mm -hmm. we have already.
0: Right. And I think that's where I might, I I don't, I wouldn't use the word disagree so much as lean in another direction Mm. and how it could pan out where he's like, You know, long term, it just doesn't seem like this might age better than you think it might compared to like a Zen 3D with just 16 big cores, but a little lower IPC on eight of them like that, or I guess on all 16 of them compared to eight of Alder Lake, I should say. But that maybe, maybe, because what he's basically arguing is, well, the argument is, is over time you need more threads. And this is kind of adding eight more threads while taking up less space than otherwise. And he's like, yes, but by the time you need more threads, you're going to want 12 big cores. (laughs) You're not Mm going to want, you know, eight plus eight. And I would say that might end up being true. And that's an outcome that we shouldn't discount could happen, especially in the midterm. But having said that, I also think that just neglects that they'll probably do something more with this. Yeah. yeah. But then he says, by the time any of that's going to matter, though, by the way, I think his point also was, there will be CPUs substantially stronger anyways, and we'll be laughing about carrying how long this has lasted. (laughs) Yeah. Which I agree. I, I think one conclusion I will say is this, though. It seems obvious why there isn't any little core only product so far and why they always insist on at least two big cores. Look at his benchmarks. There's a reason there's always at least two big cores in literally everything they're making. Like, I was wondering that for laptop, why we saw six plus eight and why we saw two plus eight. And then I'm like, why not like a one plus eight or just an only eight? And it's like, no, it it needs the big cores. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know? and, And so I think that's worth pointing out is I don't really see a little core-only design coming anytime soon. I would expect it to be at least one plus eight. Yeah, and who knows,
1: maybe um, the maybe after Raptor Lake, we'll start seeing only e-core mm-hmm. designs at some point, but that's clearly not there right now, and it doesn't seem like most people for most tasks really get that much use out of the e cores, like how they were presented, at least it seems like it. you kind of just have eight weaker threads on your
0: system. <laughs> Two final thoughts then. Yeah. No gamers should be buying the i9. You should be getting the i7, which I believe is 350 at Micro Center right now, if you want the best gaming chip. Yeah. That i9 is a utter, it's literally, I think Linus Tech Tips made this argument, it's literally a waste of money for gaming because it uses more energy. Get the i7, Put it at 5.2 gigahertz all-core, which I've seen multiple people on my Discord saying that they can overclock all eight Alder Lake cores higher than you'd think. Like, really, this is better clocking than Comet Lake all-core and Rocket Lake all-core. Um, get the i7. I, I still think the i7-12700K is the most interesting product. Well, the i5 kind of is. But the second that i7 is below 400, I'm like, I think you get the i7. You got eight cores, four cores, that can do background tasks, even if that's all they can do well, according to him. But, you know, you still have that and moving forward for multitasking, that'll help a lot more. So I really would recommend that. The other final thought is, does this change your opinion on Raptor Lake at all? Because I just, this just occurred to me literally right now, you know, Raptor Lake, It's probably going to like mm, 5% higher IPC, 5% higher clocks, 10% higher single core performance. Still just eight big cores though and doubling little cores. For gamers, does this change your thoughts on if Zen 4 might actually just outright beat it in gaming?
1: It might. (laughs) Once again, I I think it all comes down to if there's a new use case for games that devs figure out to use E cores for over P cores, which I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen if, you know, they have another competitor like Zen 4 that's still only using P cores or not P cores, but still only using their one type of core. Um, There's a chance that, yeah, Raptor, Lake, the only increase in performance gamers will see is due to IPC increases on the big cores. That wouldn't surprise me. And maybe Raptor Lake will be a little bit more boring for gamers, at least than we initially hoped it would be.
0: Which again, if you look at the synthetic and like certain types of like mixed workload tasks, like Cinebench surely isn't one in Adobe. Alder Lake is a monster of multi-threading. It beats the 5950X guys yeah. in multi-threading in Cinebench. So, and by a convincing margin, like 15%, by the way. So if you double the little cores in Raptor Lake, I, I think it just walks away with the multi-threading ring with Zen 3D. and. We'll see how it does against Zen 4, but it would be interesting if the yeah, if if really <laughs> Intel advertises theirs as a 24 core, that's great for almost what AMD used to brag about synthetics yeah. and like <laughs> and like multi-threading tasks. And then AMDs like ours is about as good, but we're better in gaming. It's almost like it's becoming flipped in that regard. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we'll
1: see. Like, I think it will be interesting if. Three years down the line, if this is still how things are going, which we'll see, it would be interesting if the exact reverse argument of Intel versus mm-hmm. AMD was happening. That was happening during Zen Plus and Zen 2 was happening with uh, Intel and AMD in like 2026. Yeah. And
0: I'm trying, to, and it does make me wonder if they should stick with just eight cores for the big ones forever because Broadwell E went up to 10 cores in a Ring Bus. Yeah. so you wonder and I do know of like I think there were 12 core ring bus ones that were single ring bus technically so I do wonder I do wonder if they should consider with whatever comes next like actually going up to 10 or 12 before they cap off how many big cores they have moving forward yeah but who knows who knows we who need knows? to know how will they program it Happy holidays, everybody. Today's piece of content is sponsored by CDKeyOffers.com. This holiday season, I think there's a lot of things you might be shopping for when it comes to software, whether it's the latest PlayStation, Steam, Origin, or other gaming platform games, or if it's a key for Windows 10 Professional, Windows 11, or even Office 2021, to get gaming next year with a new build, or maybe to just stay productive at work. No matter what you need, whether it's for work or play, play CDK offers has you covered for a reasonable price and in fact you can save even more money than what you're seeing on screen if you use these offer codes that help Moore's Law that if you use them Broken Silicon gets you 30% off Windows keys, and Shrink gets you 3% off everything on the website, including games. So whether you're looking for a piece of software to occupy your leisure time over this holiday season, or you're looking for a reasonably priced Microsoft software, which usually, let's be honest, they're just not, go to CDKeyOffers.com today, use the link in the description, and, well... Have a good holiday season where you don't overspend thanks to cdkeyoffers.com. All right, so let us move on then to story number seven. CD Projekt Red is scaling back Cyberpunk 2077 support to work on expansions. Quoting from IGN, CD Projekt Red has been gradually shifting to new projects while continuing to support Cyberpunk. The studio is now allocating more resources to work on the game's expansion and basically canceling any plans to complete parts of the game as part of base updates. In CD Project Red's quarter 3 earnings report, it shows that the majority of the company was still supporting 2077 base game up until the end of September that year. Now CD Project is focusing on the impending expansions along with the Gwent related projects and projects involving Spoco another studio under the CD Project umbrella. So It's interesting, and both for this story and the next one, which was a Battlefield 2042 story, why we're covering this in a gaming hardware thing is it's just like, well, Cyberpunk was this big, hyped-up PC game. I think it's worth covering to a certain extent. We are gamers. Um, I've seen mixed reporting on what this means. Am I wrong, Dan, that my interpretation is... Because people need to remember this. There were entire underground Metro systems and like mechanics they said would be in the game that weren't in the game that will never be finished.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, to me, this sounds like they're throwing in the towel on trying to make aspects of this game work. So (laughs) like uh, one, maybe this is, that's an incorrect interpretation, but that's sure as hell, what it sounds like. And it sounds like they took a year to finish a game that they released. Uh, A game was on the market for a year before it was uh, finished. I should say, and they're deciding that
0: they're just not going to finish it at all at this point because my conc- they need to make yeah. money, right? Which my conclusion also would be that those PS4 and Xbox One versions are never going to fucking work. Yeah, it shouldn't have been a PS4 or Xbox One game. It, I mean, I mean, it just should have been a launch on PC and probably a launch at the end of 2021. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? They probably wanted to launch next day, Ampere. They needed the money, so. Little did they know, no one could buy Ampere anyways. Well, there were those, this is from a while ago now, but weren't there
1: those uh, Cyberpunk branded uh, NVIDIA cards at one point?
0: Well, yeah, that was going to be a Turing one too. Yeah. 2080 Ti. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, I Turing guess we've got too. to get rid of these. I don't know what we're doing with them. Yeah. So they have it like just a, completely missed its launch date. That was awesome. So they have like that weird giveaway of like 100 of them or something. <laughs> Yeah, a year before the game came out or half a year before the game came out. Yeah, I know. That that was awesome. I wonder how much of it is just not wanting to bother with the last-gen versions anymore and realizing that they need to make a massive expansion they charge money for as the fixed edition so they can sell it again because they have this major problem where people on Steam are waiting for a crazy sale on it and they didn't account for that in their accounting that it would be going that low in price over time. And then also they have promised to give you the PS five and Xbox series X versions. If you have the previous gen versions and what are those? I mean, let me look, what are, what are those going for on eBay right now? <laughs> like that's the thing, right? Let me see. Cyberpunk PS four. Let's see. Yeah. I mean like you can get these, it depends. Some people are buying them ahead of time, you know, but they're mm-hmm. like under 15 bucks. So they're going to launch this on PS5 with the understanding that everyone can just buy the PS4 version that never worked and then play the PS5 version. With that understanding, they're probably like, we need to make a you know, a complete edition for PS5 and Series X only that comes with twice as much content because we're never going to make our money back or as much as we plan to make, I should say, unless we do that.
1: Yeah, and you know, I'm sure the development of their... I'm sure keeping their entire team on this is probably going to set the development of their next game back a, a year as well yeah
0: not much else to say about that <laughs> let us move on then to story number eight to another problematic pc release <laughs> the battlefield franchise undergoes a major shakeup, and again i feel like this was worth pointing out because well this is was kind of the cyberpunk of this year, though I don't, I only mean that in terms of a hyped up PC game. I do not mean in terms of it being in as bad of a state as cyberpunk, which just was completely unworking for most people there, Um, which we can get into our opinions on what I mean by that with Battlefield in a little bit here. But I am quoting from a Modified GameSpot article. Electronic Arts is making major changes to its development structure as it focuses on growing and expanding the Battlefield series following what has been a challenging launch for (laughs) Battlefield 2042. Uh, It's a nice way of putting it. The major changes are as follows. Dice general manager Oscar Gabrielson is leaving the company to pursue a new endeavor outside of EA. Dan, was he quietly fired? (laughs) Maybe. Moving forward, Respawn's Vince Zampella, integral to Call of Duty 4 and Titanfall, is taking on a bigger role as the new overall boss of the Battlefield franchise. Good. Zampella's new position is on top of his existing managerial responsibility at Respawn, which includes overseeing the ongoing efforts of live service titles, Apex Legends, and the studio's other unannounced projects. Halo designer Marcus Leto is building a new development team in Seattle focused on injecting more storytelling into the Battlefield universe. I think that's good. And Ripple Effect, the developer of Battlefield 2042's Portal Mode is developing a new Battlefield experience in Battlefield 2042 while continuing to work on the new content for Portal Mode Perhaps the biggest change being announced today is EA has formally announced the creation of a Battlefield universe, which we've already said multiple times already, that will seemingly span multiple games and offerings, which will be developed by different studios across North America and Europe. EA COO Laura Meal stated, as a whole, we're all in on Battlefield. It is one of the most important and valuable franchises in the industry. Collectively, we are out to unlock its enormous potential. So... My initial gut reaction to this is they're cleaning house on the people they blame for the mistakes and moving over proven people to steward Battlefield moving forward, and that this feels like it could be another Battlefield 4 situation, which, my God, do people have short memories. Battlefield 4 just did not work on console when it came out. I remember, so to put this in perspective, we're big Battlefield fans, me and you, when we got Battlefield 2042, you had problems getting the controller to work, which anyone who bitches, guys, you use that fly vehicle, so that's a problem. Um, but there were other little issues as well. On the whole, though, we were playing the game and jumping between battles fine, like the first time we played, yeah, pretty much. There, Which this always happens, and it would be nice if it
1: didn't. There's... Like always, server issues whenever a big online game releases. Just, but I
0: didn't say we felt that many. Well, I guess there were was there some. were some the first day. There were there were uh, uh, there certainly were the soft launch day.
1: <laughs> I, I I was getting very annoyed by it, but it works fine now.
0: Like there was also a thing where every time I joined a breakthrough room, it was glitched. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and that was awesome because I had never seen it before. But during Thanksgiving break, Dan was actually gaming up here in the studio, and. He was in my party and I got the glitch only when you were in my party. It's just awesome. I don't know how that's possible. And there's
1: still a weird glitch that hopefully they fix where if you have a controller plugged in and yeah, if you have a controller plugged in, you will randomly at random times just look in a random direction if you don't disable raw mouse input and the game... I think that can happen with a mouse as well, but it's very uh, rare. Well, and the game automatically re-enables it every time, every single game, so you have to go into the menus and turn it off every time, which, the end of the day, it takes three seconds, so it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter, but it is...
0: I've had worse shit I've had to deal with in games, for sure, but it's, it's a, still ridiculous. It's annoying that I do that at the beginning of every game. <laughs> Having said that, though, would we agree that this works substantially better than Battlefield 4 did its first month? (sighs) To some extent, it's hard to remember. I I
1: do just remember Battlefield 4, like, yeah, just not working, though. Like, quite literally not working. I I think there's definitely something to be said that 2042 is a more bare-bones game at release, because I think they're trying to turn it into a game as a service, and instead of launching a fully featured game they're like well we'll make it a fully featured game over time by adding new skins guns and characters every and maps um, for the portal modes and yeah stuff. yeah so i think there's uh i think there is a core of a good game in battlefield 2042 and i think if it continues to be developed which it sounds like they're committed to that it will age into being a very good battlefield game it's just a little annoying that at the start there's not as much in it as i think there should be in the core game i mean i know there's portal as well but portal is weird it's kind of a side thing to the actual to the core game
0: but for us we actually like the base game a lot yeah that's what we want to play. I'm not actually interested in playing the old ones as much. I just moved the old maps into six. Pl- I mean, battlefield 2042, please. Yeah. <laughs> is what cool. I prefer them to do. Um, Which I think they kind of are. They already added rush, which was really fun to play the other night. Uh, uh But uh, I guess, yeah, I guess the way I would phrase it then from my perspective is there's as much online content as battlefield for a give or take there's bigger maps. More vehicles for sure, I think actually than Battlefield Four had at launch, um, and more if you if you combine all the portal stuff with the base game, it's more online than before, but less guns in the main game. But then, are you counting the guns in the portal mode with it? Because then there's just as many guns, if not more, than Battlefield Four. I think you make the argument there's certainly as much online content as Four at launch. The problem is Four had a single player. And this doesn't, and it doesn't. It just doesn't feel like there's more content overall than Battlefield 3 at launch. Well Because there's no single player, there's no co-op, and you would think that a Battlefield game would at least want double the weapons it has. I, uh, My opinion is there's actually enough weapons, especially because you can switch ammo types, barrel lengths, way more customization in the type of way the weapon plays than before. But at the same time, there's still just like third as many weapons as Battlefield 4 had at launch. I, I think there needs to be more weapons than what the game currently has, especially
1: for a game a game known for a a franchise that's like known for putting every gun in existence into it (laughs) like i think that's part of the thing with battlefield and it's odd that it's not there in this one and to the point about portal having all that content the reason it doesn't feel like it's content in the game is because it's (laughs) <laughs> a re it's, it's not essentially a remaster
0: of the old games like that's i mean that is all it is so to move forward though with the conversation then i'd say let's just get this out of the way though i like and i remember battlefield 4 and we played it and I, again, people's memories are so short. I remember my console friends literally didn't it, like it. Literally, literally did not work. And then, like, like no, but like it wouldn't even boot into games for some people. And then on PC, I remember didn't we play Battlefield Three till the last minute? Like we were like, let's do this tonight. We'll play Battlefield Three till midnight then switch to four. And we did. And I believe it froze in the first game we joined.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, I remember the first night at least, where it was like I. Like you didn't play, basically, and like Mm -hmm. the game wouldn't load, it crashed constantly. Yeah, the game wasn't good for a while.
0: I mean, it wasn't even playable. It's like, that's why I just have this problem where it's like compared to previous Battlefield launches, this one feels much more fun to jump into and play and a much better core of a game than the previous ones. Having said that, though, I don't know why we ever put up with this crap. And there's competition now and we expect games to work when they come out and i think that they just fumbled the ball from the perspective of this doesn't this i don't know why about 10 years ago everyone just expected multiplayer games to crash the first week they're out it's not acceptable anymore you've yeah. launched enough battlefields that you should have this working day one definitely <laughs> and i th- and i think that it, 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 you know that we just people gamers aren't going to put up with this shit anymore and they can go play Modern Warfare which has a 64 or 100 player what is it a 64 player basically Battlefield mode in it for years yeah like this you have competition this you're not the only kid on the block the funny thing is the latest Call of Duty is actually doing pretty badly but well and Call of D- I
1: complained about this before and Call of Duty has decided that game size literally doesn't matter anymore and it's fine to have a 200 gigabyte
0: plus game, which that's its own issue. (laughs) Well, but let it, so we, okay. But so we, we agree it works better than before, but it's unacceptable that this is an online only version that has this amount of problems in 2021, whether you like it or not, this is unacceptable. Is it salvageable? That's the next question here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it is. And I think, what this shows is that um, this whole, this article yeah, specifically this article that we started this with is that they're trying to uh, they're addressing the issues people have with the game and hopefully they will fix it going forward because I did bring this up to you. Dice
0: does have an issue with launching a game that works at launch. Just straight up, they do, and it's like when I saw one of the heads of Dice was. You know, leaving, why is, would he be allowed to keep working there if this keeps? This is unacceptable. Your job is to launch working games. And, and I would say since bat, since you
1: know, I'll put it more clearly Battlefield 4 onwards, every single game Dice has released has been met with some type of controversy, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like Battlefield 1 probably worked the best at launch. Yeah. yeah Battlefield 1 worked pretty well I think there were some net code issues but yeah mm. I, I guess largely said but there it, shouldn't have been even then too it was I, better than now but I would say largely ignoring Battlefield 1 which is probably the best received Battlefield in the series every game they've had has had major issues though at launch um, mm-hmm. and maybe not Battlefront but my friends that played the first Battlefront essentially said yeah
0: it works fine but it's like half a game <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I played it. There were, like, oh, barely any maps. Yeah, And I don't understand what this is. So anyways, though, it's good, I think, that they're taking the person that made Call of Duty 4, Titanfall, and Apex Legends to oversee this. And Although, I think we agree on that. I do think it's interesting how
1: that will work because if he's going to remain at Respawn, like, that's managing two studios, one from Finland and one from... California sounds like it might be difficult, um, but yeah. I think Vince Sampella is clearly a really confident manager. Like, he's what, behind Titanfall, Titanfall 2, Apex Legends. Uh, Call of Duty 4. Call of Duty 4. Uh, why can't I, that Star Wars game that came out recently that everyone liked. Yeah, well, yeah. Nice.
0: No, I keep effing it up. Fall in Fall order. in order, geez. Yeah, it's two words. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so we agree he's good. It's good he's taking over. And you know, it's also I think uh a, a thing that I've seen reported on that I don't understand where they're getting this from is this idea that they're turning it into a yearly release schedule, or like like because when I see, like, for example, Marcus Leto building a new development team in Seattle for single player. I think I've seen some people go, what, so now they're going to make a new one every year? And I'm like, "Mm, no, I think this means they want the next one to have a good single player and they're going to have a different team build it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay. I just want to make sure I'm not crazy. And everything else here makes sense to me, adding more content. And, you know, they were apparently going to put a Santa skin on, I don't even remember that operator's name. What is it? Uh... I don't remember, but the, one of the characters in the... Uh, one of the people you can... Com- yeah, the operators, as they call them in 2042, has a beard, and they're going to give him a Santa outfit. People complain, and they're removing it. They're not yeah. going to ever release it. And I think that... Look, I don't want all of my games to look like Fortnite vomited on it. And that, honestly, over time, was ruining Call of Duty Modern Warfare for me, which was really a gritty, excellent campaign with the online that started that way and then slowly just turned into... Anime girls jumping around in cat ears fighting Jigsaw from the Saw movies for some reason. Willis and um, Sylvester Stallone Stallone for some reason. And it's just absolutely absurd. Can we have one online military game where it's either not a hyper realism sin or just, again, like Ready Player One vomited in my game? (laughs) But Ready Player One's really cool, Tom. I want every piece
1: of media <laughs> to be a cross media thing where there's marketing for something else in it. I, I, if I'm not being advertised to 100% of the time, I don't know what I'm. I being. get scared.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell I lose it, my
1: bearings if I don't see Bruce Willis from Die Hard once every three days. I. Get anxiety,
0: so yeah, it's very scary for me after the Christmas period, yeah. because they stopped showing that movie on t v um no i i I think then here's what I think me and you agree on. This is one hundred you know, I see a lot of people saying i I see people overhyping the problems, though, too, and I can't help but feel like. There's just people that root for EA to fail and are mad at DICE's past mistakes. And this is a new one, but that this is absolutely, for me, the funnest to play Battlefield at launch I've had in a since one.
1: Yeah, I mean, well... Which I guess yeah. is
0: just five, but sure.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I, I will see what how whatever they're doing with expanding the 2042 universe works. I... I don't know if that means that they're going to do another apex
0: legends types thing or what, uh, but I, I don't even, I'm kind of sidestepping whatever yeah. the, that type of content is. I'm just saying like, I think this is more salvageable than people realize. Like the operators are just customizable class people. Just yeah. make them into class people. Then it'd be easy to do actually. I think.
1: Yeah. The, the uh, operators thing is a little unintuitive and kind of annoying sometimes, but it's, It's not a huge departure. They're just repackaging their class system for some reason, because once again, people think that everything needs to be a hero shooter right now, because (laughs) one game that came
0: out like six years ago has made a billion dollars. It reminds you of Call of Duty 4, where it's like for some reason Resistance 2 had a knifing animation. It's like, really? (laughs) <laughs> and then, like, Halo ODST had it or something. Like, it's like, yeah, not Not every shooter needs a knifing animation because Call of Duty 4 did it well, you know? And, you know, back then, I remember games like Killzone 3 and Bad it was bad Company 2 that did it first. versus Battlefield 3, I think, that had that kill animation thing they added that was really cool instead of knifing. Yeah. So, and it was successful because you didn't just completely copy everything that was in the previous successful game. And I don't understand where this is coming from, why everyone thinks that being Fortnite will be good because that means you, well, are you going to be better, you know, are you going to be Fortnite. better at hosting a virtual
1: Travis Scott concert than Fortnite? No. Because so that's what apparently Fortnite's doing now, Fortnite is yeah.
0: apparently. Well, not anymore with Travis Scott, but specifically, yes. <laughs> But I don't know. I guess that's what I want to say is I think this is actually more salvageable than people think. I yeah. think it's very straightforward. Whatever they were planning to do with adding guns to the game just should be added without needing to unlock them in the base game in the next month. As many of them, they can just drop right away and then adding maps right away and then just organize the operators into classes. And for us, almost all the bu- most of the bugs are just gone already. So I feel like if they just iron out the bugs this month, repackage the operators in quarter one and then add tons of guns. I, so far it's more fun than I felt a lot of battlefields were. It's just, they have to do those things. Thank God. It sounds like they will though. Yeah. But and, and this can't happen ever again, or I will not buy another, you know, if they don't do that, I'm not buying the next battlefield though. And I'm a huge battlefield fan. Yeah, I, I agree. All right. I think we've spent enough time on that. I uh, might have a, uh, YouTuber, a giant Battlefield YouTuber on to discuss the situation of the game soon. But until then, let us move on to the wrap-up. So, let's just go through these stories quickly that weren't big enough to get their own story, but are worth mentioning. Uh, A4500 officially announced as the 20-gigabyte professional card in between the A4000 and A5000. I haven't gotten information on pricing yet from a contact. I should soon. I might even get one for testing, and i seems to sound like this is ga103 based which kind of is mm-hmm. the elephant in the room that it would be but i do actually have one source telling me that so far i'm kind of saving a lot of that for maybe another end of year you know information leak video uh, we'll have to see i think that's interesting though uh, let me see there's a new G- chinese gpu manufacturer uh, nothing for me to really say with this one yeah what is it innosilicon
1: yeah i mean I doubt it will get a release in the U.S., so (laughs) I I don't think we're going to be testing it anytime soon.
0: Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, this is one of those clickbaity things I saw a lot of people report on. Just because it's like, whoa, a new GPU manufacturer, but it's like, eh, look guys, its performance isn't very good. They're just brute forcing it with tons of (laughs) GDR6X to try to make up for the fact that they can't make a graphics card as good as, you know, NVIDIA, AMD, or probably Intel. But, you know, it doesn't look horrible either, and I don't really see it as much. I, I don't have much to say about it. But yeah. this will add some competition, hopefully. I just, right now, it's too early for me to say. Yeah. I'd like to see one tested. Also, there's a 170 mega hash mining card based on A100 out that Linus Tips tips tested. And they tried apparently for like days, I think, to try to get it to run a game. They just couldn't. It will not run a game. (laughs) Which is unfortunate because I am curious how A100 would game. It would be interesting to see, yeah. Uh, What we have here? Uh, We already talked about the i7 pricing. Um, We have Intel visiting TSMC after... Did you see this statement here, Dan? This is a crazy one. Intel chief uh, said that AMD didn't take market share; they let them have it. <laughs> Pat Gelsinger is getting some real uh, egotistical vibes a little bit here already, to me. Yeah, that's a spicy way to put it. Yeah, I, I, and and he's—I have other articles here. He dissed TSMC and stuff, and then went and visited them to build their new graphics cards. <laughs> it's like. What's going on, man? And, you know, it's something Daniel Nenny pointed out, too, when he said they're going to have unquestioned leadership or something. And Daniel's like, yeah, I don't think so in the next few years, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not, but okay. And now he's walking back those statements. I don't know. He's enthusiastic, at the very least, we'll say that. Um, What do we also have here? Moving on. Oh, Alder Lake i3 benchmark leaked out, um, which Rude Knight writes in. And he says, speaking of budget CPUs, when was the last time you heard someone recommend an i3 for anything? Um, it's been a while. Micro- I mean, KB Lake i3s went past five gigahertz with two cores, four threads, and they were at Micro Center like a hundred bucks at one yeah, point. I'm, so that back then, that was the last time I ever recommended them for anything. And uh, you know,
1: actually, uh, in that hardware unbox benchmark, he did bring up like he was essentially, not exactly obviously, but essentially testing a i3-ish configuration with some of them and they got pretty good performance so maybe all their like uh i3s will be very good for super budget people
0: yeah i mean i'm trying to look here at some of his benchmarks yeah i mean let me see where was that chart because that leaked benchmark also here we go yeah it performs pretty damn good i think so that's the thing and that's what that benchmark bait that leaked basically suggested too that the alder lake i3 might perform like a 5600x and be like you know 140 bucks 120 bucks yeah yeah, and if it's that cheap i think a a lot of people would be getting it (laughs) which it's funny there will be a lot of people that say but you need 12 threads and i would just go at the end of the day, one of these cores is 20% better than one of those 5600X cores at least, if you can, especially if the top K model can be overclocked or if any of them, I should say, can be pushed to like 5 gigahertz boost clocks, all cores. You have, no, it's a core, a stronger core can eventually catch up to more cores, even if it's just four. Yeah. So, you know, if it was at 10 gigahertz, it would be the best gaming CPU, guys, even though it's only four cores. So... I, don't know, I think that's a uh, exciting. Apparently, Apple's making a VR headset. Just throwing that out there. I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything literally to say about that, though. Do you? No. Uh, let me see. What else are we wrapping up here? Um, okay. And then the final thing I have is Sony is apparently going to, according to a report out of Bloomberg by Jason Schreier, directly challenge, try to more directly challenge Game Pass very soon by finally doing what I've been screaming constantly anytime someone asks me is why haven't they combined playstation now and playstation plus yet it's absolutely idiotic even especially if they can make it the same cost which playstation now isn't doing very well i wonder if they can afford to just keep it the same cost and add it to it or how they would do that maybe increase the price 10 bucks a year i don't know but
1: yeah and ps now is like already weirdly kind of a competitor to game pass in a lot of ways it's just not advertised as well and it's not as it's not as big of a a thing as game pass which i don't know if sony is ever going to go out and like make a direct one-to-one competitor with game pass but i I, they probably do at this point need something that they can market against
0: it well and again and there's just no point in having both we've already seen xbox try to kill off (laughs) gold yeah recently and then backtrack which gold is just a complete joke compared to playstation plus the games they give you look i just think it's common sense dude now isn't selling well or isn't that successful combine now and playstation plus make it more consistent what the offerings are and they can probably afford to do it without increasing playstation plus's cost at all for a while become successful pull the same thing Microsoft is, where they slowly increase the price. That's not saying I want them to increase the price, nor that they necessarily will if they don't think they can get away with it. But I just think this is long overdue. Yeah, it definitely is. All right. Let us get finally here to the final reader mails. Uh, Mazaria writes in and says, Hello, Tom and Dan. I just finished Broken Silicon 129. That was with the Indie Solo dev. And your discussion on the usefulness of ray tracing near the end got me thinking. What if games started utilizing ray tracing hardware for accurate sound propagation that changes based on the environment? That seems like something that could be useful in any game, as well as able to be done by the somewhat embryonic RT hardware we're stuck with for now. I'm also curious about how Tensor Cores and other AI-related accelerators can be used to implement large-scale voxel rendering in the future. That's a whole topic of its own. certainly is, my friend. I'm not answering that part. But I find it fascinating, and would love to know what you think. Uh, I believe the PlayStation 5 is doing something with a 3D audio com- compute unit. Yeah, there's something. That they compare to that.
1: You know, I think it could be useful uh, for doing that. I think the one thing is if a lot of people would even benefit that much from
0: that type of sound. Even if they did, can they can they market it? Because you, you have true. to have the right... St- speakers to hear the difference and have the unit to hear the difference as well. Like I have a dedicated sound guard. It definitely sounds better in here. And the PS5 has its own sound processor that I think makes it sound incredibly good in games. But the problem is, yeah, that works in a console, I guess, where you have a checkbox and it only takes up this much space on the die. I just wonder how much performance would change based on trying to do that and like how much effort needs to go into it and like at the end of the day is everyone just going to look at average frame rates in a comparison anyways yeah probably (laughs) that's my concern yeah Magnus also writes in. He says, Hi, Dan and Tom. I've been wondering for a while. Would it be possible for Intel to make a quicker node leap than TSMC to catch up? Is it too simple to assume that Intel could buy their way out of the node shrink issues by buying the newest tech from ASML? Or does TSMC have some kind of advantage in how they produce their wafers that Intel doesn't have? Well, I've already done leaks about this. They've been buying ASML for years but I'm buying from ASML for years so don't assume they're not trying to do that already. So and couldn't Intel just simply copy those advantages in process technology or are they patented by TSMC? Basically it seems like he's asking can they buy their way out of it? And I actually would maybe surprising to some people say partially yes, obviously. People need to remember that when Intel went through its 10 nanometer issues, they had people from the Foundry side supposedly screaming for more money and support forever. And Murthy, who was in charge of that, I'm told, basically ignored them and said, I'll figure it out. We don't need it anyways. They'll never catch up to us. But they did. The second they were TSMC was leapfrogging them, it took like a year. All of a sudden they go from Ice Lake to, you know, <laughs> a couple of years and all of a sudden they're going from Ice Lake to Alder Lake and it's clearly working well. And as far as we can tell, Intel 4 for Meteor Lake is on track for next year. Not next year, a year and a half from now. So it seems like once they paid attention, within a couple of years, their node was competitive with maybe early 7 nanometer. And they already have a, according to them, 4 nanometer class node coming in a year and a half when it took them that long to get to 10. Well, so like the, I think they are buying their way out of it. We've highlighted to, to... I don't think they're
1: on the foundry side that I'm remembering we've highlighted, but... Intel has is strategically buying like teams and people. Well, not <laughs> hiring people at, yes. to. Uh, I, I, I guess I mean they're buying them away from other companies to for that exact purpose. Um, and you can't buy your way out of an issue like this in a month. I don't
0: think, but you can exactly. buy your way out of it over the course of years. And, and it's clearly working to a certain extent. The problem is TSMC also has just a shit ton of money. And so, well, I think it's making a huge difference. I don't see them being able to buy their way out of this in the next few years, just not be as far behind anymore.
1: Yeah. And maybe the degree to which they're behind diminishes if they're
0: more right. or less at the same le- level, even if... Especially, especially as I hear that TSMC better. is... Sorry. Especially as I hear TSMC seems to be... St- that's not the word, Uh, seems to be having some issues with three nanometer. Mm -hmm. Like, you could see a situation where Intel's on what they're calling their four nanometer and TSMC's on their three. And it's like, all right, so what is that, 20% advantage over Intel? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, well, Intel having a diverse set of nodes to use for their devices clearly gives them some resiliency when it comes to some nodes falling behind. Don't you think there is a much, if not more risk that short-term disruption from one of the supply and fabs can cause just as much fallout because you can't simply toss out and replace one of the dies with another one fab somewhere else? Oh, like, I guess what QH Freddy's suggesting is look upon a Vecchio with like, what is it like 30 plus? Chiplets, some mm-hmm. from TSMC, some from Intel, maybe some from others. Okay, what? So if TSMC goes down, Pontevecchio's fuck. Even though could just that's well, that's
1: probably true. Pontevecchio is one. I guess you could argue just one product, but it's a product that sounds like they've invested a lot of R and D money into.
0: <laughs> right. So I think that's an interesting point. The only thing is. I don't know. I, I think in the short term, it would probably make the situation worse if you had all of your products sharing from one node instead of some on one, some on another completely. I agree with that, Gage Freddy. I do think that they could just find a way to move a lot of these designs over to their own fabs. And that was a big part of Rocket Lake, because they're trying to get good at moving designs between mm-hmm. fabs as quickly as possible. Same with AMD putting Zen 3 on... 12 nanometer global foundries with Monet soon, so. Jeffos writes in, Hi Tom, now that AMD knows 3D cache works, will they test chip designs with no L3 cache on the main die at all? In particular, what about an APU where all that die space previously used for L3 is converted to a larger iGPU? Seems like there would be a lot of interesting possibilities. I mean, the short answer I think is yes. And that's something I've been wondering about with Bergamo for a while now. It's like, yeah. you know, on the surface, maybe you'll have less cash them, um, standards and four, but is that going to matter if they can make a version of it that has the cash on top? I don't know. To answer your question, would such an APU be possible? Yes. Yeah. This is what yeah. I'm talking about. Rembrandt is not a mega APU. If they wanted to, they could probably put something at least as strong as a 6600 and then put a layer of V cash on top and it'd work great.
1: Yeah. And I think like, that's one of the first uh, thoughts we stumbled acro- across, uh, When uh, Bergamo was first leaked by you, where it's like, oh, this could be... The whole Zen 4D, Zen 4C concept. Yeah, where maybe L3 cast starts moving
0: 3D instead of on the 2D plane. It just depends, like, how much it hurts yields overall in the packaging process. It doesn't sound like a lot. So... It's one of those things where I don't think we should just assume they're not going to make an architecture that... I don't think they're going to make an architecture that requires it necessarily right away, but could they make offshoots of it that do this? I think they probably will with at least Zen 5. Yeah. That era of products, I should say. Who knows if they call it Zen 5. Uh, Tick Dickler writes in, Tom, is 144 hertz the 1440p of refresh rates? where it's just a stopgap between standards, or is there a specific reason for that number? Practically, it seems so close to 120 that it's bugging me, but I just spent two years learning about cable standards and can't afford to dive down another rabbit hole. Um, I forgot the reason for that becoming a standard on desktop PC gaming, and I guess then laptop screens as well to a certain extent. Although a lot of laptop screens now like 165 hertz. I don't know, it just kind of became a standard on PC. I think a lot of it was signaling rates to be honest, and that's what they could easily just get to. Um, is it a 1440p of frame rates? Mm, I would say like 160 hertz, 165 hertz is. I, th- I would just frankly class 144 hertz in the same as 120. And I just think on TVs, they're just going to stick with 120. It's what the consoles are going to stick with. I think on PC gaming, a lot of people will have 120 hertz, 144 hertz, Sometimes I've seen 90 or 100 hertz, but all of those are kind of grouped together and that the next full standard is like 240 probably. Yeah, I
1: do wonder a lot of the time with monitor technology advancements if a lot of people just won't care about 240 hertz and, you know, if 144 hertz, I don't think it becomes like a the 1440p of refresh rates. I think it's just going to be a thing that people, some people have like forever, just because that was the most convenient monitor for them to buy at the time. And it's more or less 120 hertz.
0: I mean, that's how I think about it as well. It's like, I think if you have a console, it's running 120 hertz on your 144 hertz monitor, but I don't think most of the time it costs them almost any extra to make it a 144 hertz version. It does sometimes, especially at the limits of technology, like basically my 4K 120 hertz monitor is a 144 hertz, but because of display port limitations, it's just 120 hertz, really. In effect, it's just 120 hertz, whereas you have newer... HDMI on your new monitor dana's new monitor just so everyone knows hey. and yours goes to 144 hertz easily yeah and it's just because it can because of the signal my panel can do 144 that's the mo- main limitation and i would just say i don't think it's a 1440p stopgap. i just think if the tech at that resolution allows you to go to 144 most of the time the panel's capable of it and so that's what they just go to mm-hmm and you'll see plenty of monitors where it's like 160, 150. One, like there's all types of wonky stuff in between 120 and 200 hertz. And in fact, most of your monitors can be overclocked if you want without any artifacts, at least 10. So what should they have sold it as a 148 hertz monitor? They probably could have with literally zero downside. But yeah. that's not the kind of standard, you know? Yeah. Well, Dan... That is the end of the final Reader Mails. Another, basically, we're just always queuing in here on a tight two hours, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. Tight, 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 tight. It's a, what is it? Tuco reference from Breaking Bad, uh, anyone wondering? But um, on that note, I am exhausted after putting out a video today and recording this podcast. Of course, if you are supporting us on Patreon, you're getting this early and ad free, and please tell your friends about us. You know, subscribe to us on your podcast apps, go to that podcast app and give us a review, hopefully a good one. And, you know, just spread the word of Moore's Law is Dead. It really does help so much. And um, I don't know. Any other last words, Dan? No, I don't think so. Yeah, you look pretty you look like a tired boy. I am too. I have a dog here scared of thunder still. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support at www.mooreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Law's Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on broken silicon die shrink and loose ends, and, of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover States podcasts and other projects, Moore's Law's Dead is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Law's Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums, and give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lenin Jim, Ivan K., Tom Bailey, Muhammad Arkawari, Frederick Lau, Metrocore, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Rita Full, Phil S., D31337, Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jesskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goody, the Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Bucking Kilo, Fatboy D. Daniel Hyde, a guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Coladic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavaz, who my name is nobody, Judson N. Alethros, Jensen Wang, hey, there's a kitty, Greg T. Wanted, Rantaro Matsu, you Ka- John Jameson, Sam Venso, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrans, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Gro, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joachim Hagen, Teak Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S, Z. Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, and the Slides, Tom Sen Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers to Elena, Nana, Daniel Nishma, Franco Frederick, Dan Kalinowski, Ian Clifford, X Cisneros, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Brett Summers, Blake, Devin Ovin Russell. Noah Nicola, Zucchi, Matin Parshaghi, David County, Rick and Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Stables, Freddie Kinos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Michelle Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castile, Josie Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valco Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, Michael Sharona, Y. Troy, Roman, William W. Draper, Aratz, Spamton, G. Spamton, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Real Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Meet and Pork, Jimmy N. G., Mads, Gordon. Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Michel, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John Wisink, Mohammed, John Debont, Post Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Stephen Jang, JSMMH, Georgie Kastaninov, PCBs 22 Reginald Ari, Narathiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.